Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. morning. I don't know about you, but I'm very glad that I'm here and seeing you. (laughs) Probably later you will know if you are happy to be here and listening to me. (laughs) Before going ahead, I want first to acknowledge and recognize the team that you sent to us to really work with us in our annual camp among the kids, the kids, they were there. They have gone through the process of uh, refugee life, and you know that such a life has a lot of traumas in it. And your team, six of them, they did a wonderful job. It was in a way that the kids, they didn't want to get separated from them, and still they are asking for, for them. And I'm so thankful to you, uh, Calvary Chapel, and my old friend, Pastor Chet, that uh, sent this team to us so that over there they have a good impact in the lives of the children. I want to recognize this team. May I ask you guys, wherever you are, to stand up so that the church actually, uh, with a good applause, encourages you? Where are they? They. Oh! The rest of them, they are not here. They are too shy. They were embarrassed, therefore they fled away. (laughs) So this week we call it Go Witness. And I don't know why you are sitting here, because this week it's the title Go and Witness. So you go and witness, and I go and have my coffee, finish my coffee. (laughs) Probably your pastor wouldn't like it. Please don't do it, then I will be in trouble. But as soon as, uh, I mean, we say, uh, go and witness, the people that they are professional uh, Christians, suddenly they remember, ah, Jesus, you know, the last word at the uh, mountain, he said, go and evangelize the people. Yesterday, actually, we started a very good start for this week. Uh, I don't know if you were there or not. They had a great Uh, food over there, great fellowship, wonderful worship, and brilliant message. And the message was so uh, impacted uh, myself, I thought that probably that's enough for the whole week, so I don't have to come here and bring the message this morning to you. But again, your pastor didn't agree with it, so I am here. There you go. You have to suffer listening again to it. But, yes... The last word Jesus said when he was, in the gospel actually, uh, when he was ascending to heaven, uh, he said these words. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Before going ahead, let me tell you what's going to happen. 
You see, I'm thinking Persian. In my brain, I'm just translating it into English, then translating it into my mouth, and the words coming out to you. And then you receive the words. That's the art of communication. How do you receive it? I don't know. That's the question for another occasion, probably. But you see that in such process, a lot of things might go wrong. But whatever goes wrong, don't worry about it. But in any case, if you felt it somehow, my words came out to you heavy, you didn't like it, it was offensive, don't put it on cultural differences. You know, the gospel, yeah, it's a good news, obviously, but at the same time, it's offensive because always it asks us, it challenges us to do something, to bring some changes into our lives. Therefore, when you felt that way, you ask yourself, what was in it? What part of it actually challenged me? And what is you know, really asking me to do about my life? And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is going really to talk to you. So, let's go back to the verse. The verse actually I read to you, Jesus said uh, when he was ascending to, the, to heaven, he was not saying those words to 5,000 multitude of people that who ate bread and fish, or multitude of the people that whenever, whenever he was gathering, you know, he was going to temple, they were gathering around him, and he was teaching to them. No, he didn't give that command to those people. They were just 11 people at the mountain, and Jesus gave this command to them. And now you are thinking that, what am I saying? You are off the hook? This command is not for you? Maybe yes. <laughs> or maybe no. We are going to see at the end of my message if the command is for you or not. When we see that, who were these disciples? And as a matter of fact, who is a disciple? You see, when we look at the word disciple, which has come in the New Testament, which is in Greek, in Greek it is matetes. <laughs> Probably matetes, it's just a schoolboy. Like a kid goes to school. That's how it is. In those times, it was not just Jesus who had disciples. Jewish rabbis, they had disciples too. John the Baptist had disciples. Elijah had disciples. Even Greek philosophers they had disciples too. But there was some big differences from the way Jesus was making his disciples. His discipleship method was totally different from the others. And I will go to some of them, and after that I will raise some questions to you, and you are going to answer for yourself. No one else will be able to answer it for you. And then you will see your challenges in those questions. The first thing that Jesus' discipleship was different from the others was that Jesus didn't have any building, didn't have any school. There was no place that he could gather those students over them and start teaching to them. Jesus was asking them to follow him, literally to follow him. Wherever he was going, they had to follow him. And for doing that, they needed 
to leave whatever they had and follow him. That was the way he was making disciples. The second thing in his discipleship was that, you see, in those days, the disciples, they were just browsing around to see that which teacher is good so that they go and be his disciple and find a name for themselves. Like universities, we have the top-rating university, top-rating teacher. But with Jesus, it wouldn't work. Because it was not the disciple who were choosing, who was choosing his, his teacher. It was Jesus himself who would choose his disciple. As we look at the New Testament, the Gospels, we see that a lot of people, they wanted to be his disciple, but Jesus was rejecting them. In Luke chapter 9 from uh, uh, chapter 9 to chapter 14, we see Jesus and his disciples, they are walking and going towards Jerusalem. And the whole topic of talking on the way, it's about discipleship. And the center of that talking is who cannot be his disciples. <laughs> it's quite strange. Instead of saying who can be his disciples, Jesus explained to them who cannot be his disciples. And we see that a lot of people, they come, but Jesus sends them back. No, you cannot be my disciple. It was Jesus who would choose his disciple and call them. And it's so clear in the gospel stories. The other one, the conditions of being Jesus' disciple was not pleasant, and in sometimes it was so hard to accept them, to digest them. In Gospel of John chapter 8, we see that Jesus actually teaching them a lot of great things. Tells them that, you know what? Your fathers, they were very blessed. They ate the bread coming down from heaven. <laughs> Yet they died. I am the bread. Descended from heaven so that anyone who eats from it would never get hungry. I am the bread of life. <laughs> and suddenly, oh, the bread of life. Who can accept such teaching? It's very hard. And you know what happened? A lot of disciples, a lot of the people that they were thinking they are his disciples, they stopped following him. And Jesus turned to the Disciples, he had chosen himself and said, what about you? Don't want to leave? And over there we have a great statement from Peter. To whom we can go? The words of the everlasting life is with you. And we know that you are the son of the living God. The condition of being his disciple was very hard. And it was not pleasant. So a lot of people couldn't really be his disciples. The other one. In those times, <laughs> for really being qualified to be a better teacher yourself, the disciple would go to different teachers. Two years with this one, four years with that one then five years with that one, and then he would become himself as a teacher, distinguished one. But not with Jesus. You couldn't do such a thing with Jesus. Jesus was demanding the disciple that 
he be the only teacher for him. There is no browsing around. If I am your teacher, Jesus was expecting that I am the only teacher you are going to have. No one else. And the other point in his discipleship, when he was teaching, he was teaching with such authority that the disciples, they knew there is really authoritative teaching. They are listening. Jesus was putting his teaching above Moses. Do you remember when God was talking to Moses, said, Achia, I am. And later on in Septuagint, it translated Egoemi. In the Gospels, Jesus, in several times, he used this word, Egoemi, I am. And with this one, actually, he was claiming that he is God himself. So Jesus was expecting the disciples to put his teachings above everything else and accept it as the word of God. And then, in his discipleship, (laughs) you couldn't be a master at all. You would always be a disciple and Jesus always be your master. There is no equality. You wouldn't be equal with Jesus. Always he's the master. Always you are a disciple. And the next one, (laughs) the other teachers, they would accept men as their disciples, but not with Jesus. Jesus accepted women as his disciples. As a matter of fact, even children, they were welcome to come and sit down in his teachings. So, with these things I told you, the question comes back to you. What about you? Are you a disciple, something like this? Or you think that I'm a Christian, that's enough? You see, the church building, Bible schools, they can provide for you his teachings. They can explain to you his teachings. They can equip you with the right answers to the hard questions. Even they can formulate for you your theology. But it's all subjective. It's all information in your brain. It's not being a disciple to Jesus. You see, the disciples, they have to follow him wherever he was going. And it's the same today. Wherever we go, we are following Jesus in his footsteps at work, at schools, in the parties, at home, wherever we are. If we are disciples, it means that we are following his footsteps. Therefore, the question, what is happening in your day-to-day practical life you have? Let me put it this way. I am totally against subjective theology. Theology is a tool. He has It has to make us, really, people worthy of Christ. 
Theology has to make our lives much more holier than yesterday. And if it doesn't do it, it means it is toxic, no matter who teaches it. So, coming back to the question. In day-to-day life, in practicality, how you are following Jesus? Are you a disciple? Let me put another question based on the things that I said. Do you have his calling for your life? (laughs) Sometimes I hear the people, they say that, oh, at that time, at that occasion, I gave uh, my life to Jesus. I chose Jesus as my Lord. No, you didn't choose Jesus as, as your Lord. If you were there, it was a response to the Holy Spirit to be over there, and it was Jesus actually chose you to be there. So we shouldn't give credit to ourselves. We should give the credit to the Holy Spirit that made us to hear the call. So have you heard the call for your life? When was it? Where was it? How was your reaction towards it? You need to write it down. It was at that time I heard the calling. And I said, yes, Lord, I want to be your disciple. And that's a bright light for your way. Whenever you become discouraged, you will say, at that time, I had the call for my life. And it will give you strength to continue. So, do you have the call? The other question. Do you know really what you have been called for? Do you know the conditions of being his disciple? Have you been explained what it costs? You need being his disciple, it means that there is a cost to pay. Let me put it in a simple way. When Jesus calls someone, he calls him to come and die. So simple. You might say, oh, it's hard. No, it's not hard. It's what it says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what uh, does it profit a man? if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is what Jesus says. You might say what it means. It's so simple. Denying yourself, denying your ego, denying your pride, Denying whatever you boast for it. Denying whatever you have just holding it fast. Paul sets the bar for disciples so high. Let me read it for you where the bar is. But from Philippians, Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In Greek, what you find it in the toilet. It's so strong word. Paul says that whatever gain I had, I have counted it rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But which that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? That I may know him. And may know the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says a lot of things in this short passage. I am just pointing out three of them because of the time for you. Over here, the first one, Paul says that surpassing word of knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing. <laughs> Normally, we think that knowing is something, having information in, in, in the mind. No. Knowing is not that. The true knowing, true knowledge, comes from mutual relationship. It's not something coming from the books. It's coming from relationship. Just remember your relationships with the people, with your friends, with your spouses. Remember the first day you met your husband, your wife, and the knowledge you had from her or him. And through the years, remember how much more you have become intimate. You have known each other more and more and more. Sometimes it backfires, you know that. (laughs) I shouldn't say it in the pulpit. It's It's not a holy thing to say. I will say it. Somebody watches for the lightning not to come. But somebody didn't come to the, to, to the work, and the colleague said, oh, yesterday you didn't come. He said, oh, no, it was our, uh, our 10th anniversary, and we went to dinner, blah, blah, and candle and chocolate. And the guy said, oh, hold on. I remember 10 years ago, when you were getting married, I asked you, how is your wife? And you told, here, husbands, please don't, say, don't show any reaction. It has consequences. <laughs> So just sit, even don't laugh. <laughs> the guy looked around and said, yeah, you remember what I said? He said, yeah, you told me that she is so sweet, so sweet, I, I really, I want to eat her. <laughs> so what is your opinion now? <laughs> he said, I wish I had eaten her. <laughs> Yeah, I told you. You know why? Because during the relationship, you get to know each other. Either the spark of love will become stronger, stronger, and more stronger due the time 
or it will become weaker and weaker and weaker will be ended to divorce, separation. That's how the true knowledge comes. And here Paul says that, you know what? Whatever gain I have, I have counted them rubbish because I I want to have such relationship with Jesus, mutual relationship with him, and such a relationship that our relationship gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So that, the second word I'm going to point it out, so that I be found in him. I think Paul likes this word very much. Because the whole epistle of Ephesians is about this one. In him, in him, in Jesus. In Jesus, you go and read it and count how many times. Actually, Paul says, in him, in Jesus, in Christ, and all those. In chapter 2, wonderful passage. Paul says that, you know what? Before you become his masterpiece, he has to do something for you. He says that you were dead in sin. What he did, he just took you up. What happened to my... Took you up, resurrected you with him, and... Made you seated in high places. You see? When you are in him, it means that your destiny has become actually joined with whatever his destiny is. In him. He is resurrected. I have been resurrected with him. I have not done anything to be worthy of it. It's grace. But... In him. And Paul says that I want such a thing. I want to be found in him. I don't want the righteousness coming from the law. There is no righteousness coming from the law because always we are short. But when we are in him, we are not short anymore. We are in him. That's why Paul says that I have, I want to be found in him. And then he continues and says that, you know what? I may know him and may know the power of his resurrection. I don't want just to be alive. I want to have a life full of power, the resurrected power, like Jesus himself. That's why he says that I counted whatever I had as rubbish. This is the bar Paul sets for being his disciple. And then the passage continues, taking up your cross daily, being ready to die for him every day. Why did once cross was a shameful thing? It was so shameful that no Roman citizens, you know, would be crucified because it was shameful. When you are up there, down there, everything is just exposed. Jesus accepted such a shame for us. And we are his disciples following him. It means that we need to get ready to accept the shame that comes with with, 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 with the cross. Are we ashamed of it? You know that with cross comes the rejection. The people will reject us. 
because we are Christians, because we have taken our cross. Are we ready for it? So the question is, are you a disciple? You know, what is the hard part on this one? It's not occasionally. It's not, let's say, one in two years' time. No, it's daily. Are we ready for it? Have we accepted it? Are we such a disciple, such disciples? Let me open it more for you from what Jesus says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. (laughs) But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You know what this guy was doing? This guy, making one command of God as an excuse not to follow Jesus. In the Old Testament, God had commanded the Jews, you will respect your parents. It means that in the old time, or their old age, you need to take care of them. And the guy was telling to Jesus, you know what? Hold on. I have a father. He's old. I need to go back and take care of him. When he is dead and I have buried him, and I will come and follow you. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You notice that Jesus didn't say, come and follow me. Because already he had been rejected. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my house, my house, my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to the kingdom of God. Double-minded. Looking forward, looking backward, looking forward, looking backward. I don't know if you have done plowing or not. <laughs> or if you have seen it in the movies at least. You need to make a straight line, and these cows, they want all the time to go distracted here and there, and you need to keep them straight. It means that you need to be focused. And Jesus says that. Anyone who is not focused, he doesn't, he's not fit to be my disciple. So, what really he says? I will summarize it for you. I will not talk over them. It says, my disciple is in the world, but he is not of the world. He is separate from the values of the world. He lives with kingdom values, not with the world values. So, it challenges us to bring our values, the values we live by in our daily life. Are they kingdom values? My disciples, no. They have no personal purposes. They have brought all their personal purposes under God's purposes. They see everything from the eyes of God. 
They don't have anything for themselves, but whatever is God's. That's how kingdom works. It says, the top priority of my disciple is the kingdom of God. Establishing the kingdom. Kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but the joy in the Holy Spirit all rights through me. And Paul says, for my disciple, Jesus says, for my disciple, there is no time out. There is no time out. Always we are a disciple following him wherever he goes. There is no time out. Say that, you know what? I need a vocation. There is no vocation. Now, (laughs) coming back to the question. Do you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Is he the only one in your life that you are committed to him? You know, it's a very hard question. Because there are a lot of things in our lives that they require and they demand our commitment. Look at your relationships. Look at your relationship with your spouses, with your family. But the problem is, our relationship with each other is based on the relationship we have with the Lord. If it's not this way, our relationship will not last. If I have not committed my life to Jesus, how I am going to love my wife the way Jesus loved the church? If my wife has not committed you know, her life to Jesus, how she's going to obey me the way the church should do? That's the whole concept of the great command. Normally we try to separate this command from each other. Love, love your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength. But we don't say the second part as the Jewish rabbi didn't. Jesus said, hey, hold on, continue, and love your neighbor as yourself, because they are not separate from each other, because your relationship with your fellow human being is based on the relationship you have with God. If your relationship with God is not good, it's destroyed, your relationship with whoever is in your life is destroyed, won't last. Being a disciple is not based on gender. Male or female, all of us in the body of Christ, we are priests. And we serve our Lord based on the gifts we receive from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is no gender in the body of Christ. We serve our Lord based on the gifts we receive from him. Therefore, my sisters, you don't have to prove to your brothers that you are a disciple. Just look at your gifts and your brothers definitely will see the gifts you have. You know, I'm coming from 
Middle East, where the society is much more a man-ruling society, but we have a lot of great female leaders among us. Really great, because they are gifted from God. We are in the New Testament. Remember that. And it's Jesus who chooses his disciples. So, are you a disciple? You might come back and say that, hey, the things you said, of course not. <laughs> you are wrong. You know why we think this way? Because always we think that being a disciple is to do with something doing. No, it's not. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, you know what? You are disciples, my disciples, but do nothing. Go back to Jerusalem and wait so that you be clotted from the power from above. And when it happens, then you are my witnesses. Then you are in the position of authority. The authority that is not based on what you do, but is based on who you are. Based on who you are. And then you are on such authority place, whatever comes out from your mouth, it's the command of God, powerful to change the lives. It happened to Peter and John. They were passing by the temple. They beggar, please give me money. And they said, you know what? We know what we have and we know what we don't. We know that. We don't have any gold. We know that we don't have any silver, but we know what we have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. That's a disciple. That's the word of a disciple from the point of authority. And that's your calling. You are here because you have been called to such authority place. Therefore, my friends, take your place. You are a disciple. Don't get deceived by Satan that you are not. You are. All these things already you have. Therefore, use it. You are a disciple. Please stand up. Thank you. To him. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have you in our lives as our teacher, as our master. And Lord, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit so that with his power we continue this road of discipleship, Lord. And we know that one day we will see you face to face. And at that time, we will not be ashamed and we will say, Lord, we were faithful servants of you, Lord Jesus. So bless my friends over here. Bless my brothers and sisters. And you, Lord, clothe them with the power from above. And let them enjoy of being your disciple. And stay and stand in the place of authority as what really who they are according to their identity in you, in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.